Welcome to School Nutrition Dietitian. I'm your host, Dahlia Kinsey. I work with programs all over the country as a registered dietitian and school nutrition specialist to save operations time and money on everything from employee training, social media marketing, and wellness programs. Every week, I bring you tips, tricks, and inspiration from fellow professionals in school nutrition and related fields. This week, we have Mika McCook on the show. Mika is an editorial food and culture photographer based in Austin, Texas. It's really fabulous to be able to connect with people who specialize in skills that we also want to use in school nutrition. We don't always have the funds to hire a photographer to help us really market our meals to our students. So even though, of course, that is the ideal situation, Mika was kind enough to come on the show and share some pointers with us about how she helps restaurants tell the story behind their dishes so that we can do the same in our programs. All right, let's get started. Nutrition dietitian here on a mission to show you fruits and vegetables can be super delicious. Eating healthy keeps you healthy on the inside. Keep your stomach satisfied and keep a clear mind. Now you're ready for your academics. Focus, time to handle business. Breakfast, you don't want to miss it. Help your body to replenish. Clean food, clear mind. That is the vision. Tune in to the school nutrition dietitian. Okay, thank you so much for your patience and thanks for joining me. Oh my goodness, uh, me and my technology issues. Um, oh, I feel you, honey. We've been through that. <laughs> okay, good. So I'm not the only one. It's great to have people on who have their own podcasts as well. I think everybody knows the struggle is real. So with your podcast, it's three of you, right? So you share some yes. of the duties and you have different specialties. Can you tell us a little bit about your show? Sure. So we are the F-Stop podcast and we are a podcast about the triumphs and struggles of being a photographer and getting our way up to the top. And we started it because we wanted to create a community of photographers all over because it's a lonely world out there. And so that's kind of what we focus on is just what we're going through, what we're struggling through. And we also interview photographers who are working full time. And we just ask them about their journey and how you know, what it was like getting to the point in their careers. And it's just kind of like a, like a take a road, uh, take a memory lane back, you know, just reflect on where you've been and where you are and where you'd like to go. And it's just more of a community inspirational, let's cheer each other on community over competition type of podcast. I like that concept, community over competition. Are most of the people yes. who you hope to engage with or have listened to your show freelance, or is it really everybody? You say some of the people you interview are employed full-time. Is it uncommon to find full-time employment, or is the target just people who are entrepreneurs? Well, we are targeting people or photographers who are working to be full-time. They don't necessarily have to be full-time, but that's a goal that they want. And so it's okay if you have a full-time job and photography is your side gig. But the hope is that whoever listens to us, they eventually want to be full-time photographers. And yes, it is odd to see full-time photographers, mainly because when DSLR came out, it, it really changed the field Suddenly, everybody was a photographer. If you had, you know, if you had money, you can go buy a digital camera. And let me rephrase that because when DSLRs came out, it was a huge deal and they were super expensive and not very affordable. It's when they became affordable, i.e., if I'm correct, when crop sensors, cameras came out, it became an affordable thing. So everyone could just, if you had $500, you'd go pick up a camera and all of a sudden you can start charging people. And with this huge saturation of photographers coming in, you know, it became harder to demand your worth. And so you have a photographer who will charge, you know, 150 for a full family session. And that's just not a realistic way of making money. And here you have another, you know, photographer who's trying to actually 
charge the full rate of what you should pay for a family session, but how are you going to compete with somebody who's paying 150? So our hope is, you know, with interviewing these full-time professionals is that they can tell us like how they stood out from the, you know, from the photography field, like with the saturation of how many different people came into the field. So how do you stand out? How do you um, put yourself out there in a way that doesn't step on anyone's toes? I mean, I know that's a, a, a dream or op- being optimistic, but that's just not the way we want to conduct business. So how can you stand out? How can you put your name out there without leaving a negative impact on the other professionals? Oh, that sounds like an excellent goal. And that does sound really tricky. I never really thought about the impact that the access that everybody has to photography now kind of putting a damper on the profession or maybe forcing the profession to evolve some. I know since I'm a registered dietitian, it there's so much grief in the field about the fact that mm-hmm. the term nutritionist is not legally protected in the United States. So anyone can be a nutritionist and the general public generally doesn't know or care what the difference is between a dietitian and nutritionist. And so you can just wake up one morning and start telling everybody like, just eat grapefruit and drink water. It changed my life. And it's really hard to shut that down. Yeah. So yeah, I can imagine it must be frustrating yeah. to have not had kind of amateur competition in the field and then it blew up. That's, I don't know how yes. often that happens. Yes. But the interesting thing, thing is, is that I, I'm coming from two different, I'm coming from both worlds. Like when I started off in photography, I was the same thing. I just, you know, I, I didn't even have a crop sensor and there's a difference between crop sensor and a full frame and it's really hard to explain to non-photography people. Yeah, I was but, just about um, to say, what is a crop sensor? It's a huge difference. Like with crop sensor cameras, all it is is mainly it's just the sensor is cropped. And so if you have a, a certain lens, it doesn't necessarily look the same as it would on a full frame. But it's it's pretty complicated. And I can send you a link. So if you want to put in your show notes of, you know, I'm okay, giving a terrible explanation. But, <laughs> but when I first started out in photography, I didn't even have a professional camera. I had a little shoot and point power shot. And I was taking, you know, $80 for a photo session because I didn't know. I didn't right. know. I just jumped in and started taking money. But as I got further into, you know, my business, I realized just how much I wanted to do this full time. And then I also realized that my work wasn't on par with what I saw the professionals doing. And I'm like, okay, well, I want to be where they're at. I want my work to look like theirs, if not better. I want to know why I'm taking amazing photos and not just, you know, walking into happy accidents. And if people are going to pay me, I want to make sure that they're paying for a quality session and an experience. And so I started going to ACC and I'm still a student at ACC. I got about a year left, but it really changed the way I looked at my craft and what I was doing. And it just filled in a lot of blank spots. So on one end, I can understand professionals being frustrated with, you know, people coming in, they call them photographers or, you know, F-A-U-X photographers because, you know, you just picked up a camera and all of a sudden, you know. And so I come from that end most recently, but I also come in from the other end where I just jumped in. And really, I think that's the best way to start anything. But there are some folks hiring photographers who are not even remotely qualified to do that project. And I think it's because the client doesn't know any better. And, you know, the the, the photographer is just really, you know, kind of trying to make it work. And so right. we hope that by bringing in full-time professionals who will share their secrets and things that they've picked up and learned along the way, that we can build a better environment for professionals in this field so they can start demanding their worth and not accepting $150 for a photo shoot. Anyone yeah. can pick up a camera, but there is a difference between 
someone who's educated in their field and someone who's not. Since anyone can, you would hate to pay for that service and receive kind of the same product that you could have generated yourself or someone else on your staff could have generated. So I really wanted to have you on to hear from a professional photographer about how as a consumer, we can partner up with people who can really give us the end result that we want. And also Mm -hmm. some tips and tricks for what we could do to make our amateur photos a little bit better when we're not at a point to pay for a bigger project. Like in my personal life, I have already picked who I want to work for, for a personal branding shoot. And it is, I mean, it's not, it's not crazy expensive because I understand, you know, how much work is going to go into it. Or I kind of understand. I don't know all the training that she did to get to this point, but it's going to be like a thousand dollars and It looks like she adds so much to the experience that I know someone who doesn't do this all the time wouldn't be able to do. Like looking through her portfolio, you can see she captures people's personality. She gets everything crystal clear. Everything looks like a piece of art. It's not just the picture. Uh, And then her marketing game is crazy. She definitely stands out. I don't know how she's done it. And then I also don't know if she's fully booked. Um, but based on her pricing, she seems to understand that she should not be giving her talent away. So what do we do when we're trying to see who is maybe not going to be able to give us a consistent product and who can? Just looking at their portfolio or what should we look for? You should look for several things, not just their portfolio, but what kind of presence do they have on the Internet? If there's uh, any way to get reviews, look at their reviews and honestly contact them and say, this is what I'm looking for. And this is what I need for my business to work and ask them, how do you go about doing that? Ask them what their rates are. See if you can find out as much information as you can about them and ask every single question you have. Do not be afraid to ask those questions. And also um, ask word of mouth. Gosh, word of mouth is probably the number one way that photographers get business and ask trusted professionals. So like if there's a, if you have a colleague whose work, you know, their, their online website, their headshots looks fantastic. Ask them, Hey, who took that picture? Who, who's, who does your social media? Like who does that? That looks amazing. And then contact that photographer and that's how you'll know if they're the fit for you. But really, you can tell between someone who's new and someone who's been around for a hot minute. Like, it just, your work really does evolve. No one goes into this business just being an amazing photographer. You pick up skills along the way. And when you look at someone's portfolio, you will be able to see that. How recent are their photos? How active are they? And um, what's the word around them? Has anybody worked with them that you know or any of those things? Or just getting on the phone with them. My co-host will laugh at me when I say this because they know how how true it is when I say it. I hate emails. (laughs) I prefer to talk on the phone. (laughs) I love talking on the phone because you can really get the answers you need right then and there with an email, you have time to ho-hum and come up with a response. But Uh, on the phone in person, what you're getting is, is a raw answer right then and there, unless they're just really good at lying, then (laughs) no luck there. Right. (laughs) From the laugh, I feel like maybe you've dealt with that before also. I have, I have, but I, I used to, I worked at a, in a, medical office. And we, um, sometimes I sat in for some of the interviews for new hires and what they would say did not match their resume. Mm. And I've just been really good at picking up when, you know, someone's full of crap and when someone's honest and you just kind of, you kind of learn, you learn when someone's trying to sell you on something. Yeah. I mean, authenticity, I don't think that you can fake that. You just can't. Well, that's one of my weak points. So we do panel interviews and sometimes when we're early in the screening process, it may just be one person who's handling the initial contact with the potential hire. And I have picked, I am awful at that. Like I 
I'm very gullible. <laughs> and it's to the point where people are like, yeah, so Dahlia is not going to be with anybody by herself because she keeps getting us people who really sell us a false bill of goods. She's got to get it together. Is it something you think you're born with or you should pretty much just partner with someone who knows uh, how to have a better feel for what's true? You know, I honestly think it's because of my Enneagram. I'm a type um, five or type type six. Oh my gosh. Type I six. haven't done that yet. Me. So what is a type six? <laughs> You've got to try it. So type sixes are typically known for being overly suspicious. And we, I mean, it's hard to gain our trust, but once we trust you, we trust you completely and wholly. But getting that trust is, you know, it's, it's a, a, a feat trying to get that trust. And so with me at interviews, I would listen to what the potential hire thing. And then I'd also look at their body language. I'd look at their eyes and see, you know, if they're, they're looking to the left or to the right. I mean, I don't even know if that's, if that has anything to do with it, but mainly I just look at their body language and how quickly they answer a question or how slowly they answer a question. And over time, like it was kind of a joke at my old job is, you know, I sat in on an interview and the person that they ended up hiring I actually recommended against. I said, that person's probably going to quit in a year. And they thought I was crazy. They're like, you were just really stern with every interviewee. And I said, well, I honestly think you should have hired this person. But this one, you know, that you hired, she's probably going to quit in a year. And she didn't quit in a year. She quit in three months. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, we're known as troubleshooters. I'm a troubleshooter. If I see a problem, I, I can see a problem a mile away and I'm already thinking of ways of solving it. Mm. It wasn't my main job. It was just something that they ended up bringing me in for, for interviews because I was just, I could tell who was going to, who was going to last and who wasn't. Well, I appreciate and they recognize I, that as a strength because I can think of people that I know that they tend to be able to see a problem from a mile away, but people are always accusing them of being negative because when they yes. end up being right, it seems like everyone has forgotten that she's the one who said this was going to happen. So it's <laughs> nice that you were in an office where they understood, Hey, it's good to have someone who can predict disaster. It's not negative. Like we need to know yes. this stuff before it happens. My, my husband jokes, um, he said that on my headstone, it's going to say, I told you so. <laughs> <laughs> I spent half my day saying, I told you so. <laughs> That's fantastic. But that that is a good skill to have. So you said that you kind of so. do recommend people that you have to just jump right in. Everyone has to be a beginner. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. You, so I mean, you were self-taught in the beginning and then you went and got traditional schooling. Yes. I was self-taught, but there's a lot of bad information out there. And I feel like I, I learned it all. But going to school taught me what information to look out for, what's legit, who is professional. And don't get me wrong. I don't think that you need formal education in order to be a professional photographer. I do believe that you need to have something reputable. And books are amazing. <laughs> There are many books out there. And honestly, I would prefer to read a book than to watch, you know, a random YouTube video. But there are okay. channels out there that have legit information. And they, you know, the, the host like Frono's Photo, I follow his channel like Bible. So I am self-taught, but I, I learned a lot of bad information. And that's kind of what's concerning is that there's a lot of bad information out there and these new photographers coming in are absorbing this and then using it. And it's a disservice to them and it's a disservice to the clients. Mm. What so, are some legitimate resources uh, for tutorials or basics that you found? I'm just resisting having to open a book is what's happening here. Are there any, I, I get it. any visual I get it. I get it. Well, if you're into food photography, Joni Simon, The Bite Shot, she is absolutely amazing. And um, she teaches uh, mainly 
how to use artificial lighting in food photography. Is there anybody who's targeting amateurs who need to do food photography? Well, depends on what kind of camera you have. There are lots of channels. Well, not really when it comes to food photography. The main ones that I know are the Bite Shot and Food Blogger Pro. And that's really more tailored to food blogging. And that's kind of how I started in food photography and learning about food photography is when we started our food blog and took a terrible picture of I think it was a taco and I was like, Oh, this looks like crap and I don't know how to fix it. So I learned about food blogger pro and they have a lot of online tutorials. And then there is uh, the food photography club. And I took a couple, I, I think I was a member for a few months and then I was like, well, I started school. So I was like, well, I don't need to follow this anymore. And most of the um, information on there was more geared towards beginner um, photographers, and I was already at a point where I needed to learn more about the business end than right. the the technical side. And there is one that I follow. It's a uh, called Food. It's on Instagram. It's called Foodography School. F O O D T O Graphography School. And then soon, I'm actually working on a membership course called Austin Food Guide, and I basically teach restaurant owners how to photograph their food with just their mobile device. Oh, that's and, um, very exciting. Yeah. Yeah, so that's what I'm working on, but I want to plug myself in there for a Absolutely. minute. Absolutely. Well, uh, that's very relevant <laughs> um, because sometimes I think people forget that school nutrition exists, and they're essentially small restaurants inside of schools that everybody forgets about. Like I went to public school and I ate at school and then I forgot that there must have been people who worked there all the time. So I think that would be a great resource for us too. So can you tell us what your website is and where we're going to find updates about this class? Yes. So the the main website is Austin Food Guide, A-U-S-T-I-N, foodguide.com. And right now there is a place finder, but or I guess a landing page. And from there, you should be able to sign up, join my email list. So when everything launches, which I'm looking at hopefully by the end of December, it's pretty much built now. It's just about building content and recording the videos. I have two people that I'm testing my my material on and what I'm going to be teaching, mainly because the challenge is that um, having to teach photography to non-photographers, that's like a real challenge. Right. I can imagine. <laughs> and, and they have a phone and a phone works a lot differently than a full frame camera. But I believe wholeheartedly that it's not the camera that makes you a photographer. It's it's you and your skills and your understanding of light and how important it is to photography. And if you have a basic fundamental understanding of how light works, then it doesn't matter what you have. Don't get me wrong. My phone does not take as well pictures as my full frame, but I know photography. I know lighting. So when I take a picture with my phone, you don't know the difference, uh. whether it's my camera or my, my workhorse, like, I call my camera my workhorse. <laughs> you don't know the difference. And that's what I want to teach my potential students is that you don't need a giant you know, camera. There are times when you should hire a food photographer, a professional right. food photographer. But for everyday social media needs, if you don't have the budget, I want to teach you how to take photos that match your brand and that you can anywhere. You can learn anywhere. That's excellent. That's going to be a great service for all of us because I do know in some larger districts where funding is, you know, flows a little bit more, people may hire a mm -hmm. photographer when they do a menu change. You basically are getting all the photos so that you have them for your menu boards or for your other marketing materials, but that's like a one-time hire and you don't have access to them for the rest of the year. 
So this, exactly. yeah, this is definitely, a, and I do understand, like, there's a reason why people specialize and you cannot come off the street and do anything someone else does for a living as well. But mm-hmm. unfortunately, because of budgets, it doesn't matter that you can't do it as well. You still have, you have to give it your best exactly. shot. So what are some tips that you can give us? I took photography classes like a million years ago when I was a senior in high school and I just mm-hmm. wonder, do we still need to know about Aperture? Because I saw option has appeared on the Google Pixel, and I still don't know how to use it, but I know that it's there. How deep do we need to go with our understanding of our actual equipment? You need to understand that for sure, at least a little bit. Okay. We have the F-stop feature on the iPhone, and honestly, I just laugh so hard because it is so so inaccurate (laughs) and and people don't know what it what it means or what it's for or you know they just they're like oh this is blurry and I get it I was the same way too when I had my first camera I had no idea what aperture was what bokeh was and my first photo shoot I manually tried to edit bokeh into all of my pictures and I did it for like almost over 40 pictures it took me hours but that's because I didn't know. <laughs> Can you explain some of those basics? What f-stop is, it or aperture is, it means. So let me let me break it down real fast. So there are three elements in photography. Your your camera sensor picks up and how you take a picture. You have your ISO, and that means how sensitive to light your camera is. And on a sunny, bright day, you don't need a high ISO. You don't need your camera sensor to be so sensitive to light. Then you have your f-stop, also known as aperture, also known as bokeh. And that means how much light you're letting in. So the wider, i.e. the smaller the number, the more light you're letting into your, your camera sensor. So on a bright and sunny day, typically you don't need a wide aperture. Um, aperture is also used for, you want to get a nice shot or like if you're doing a portrait and you really want your subject to stand out from the background and that's in that case yeah you could have a very wide open aperture so you can have a beautiful blurry background or you can distance your subject from the background and that also creates a blurry background too or if you have a large group of people then you want a smaller i.e bigger number of aperture because you want your camera to be able to focus on everybody. And that's the downside of an aperture, aka f-stop, is that the wider, i.e. the more light you're letting in, the smaller the focus is, and the um, narrower the f-stop is, the, the more of a focus you can get. And the shutter speed, which determines how much or how long you want light to come in. So if you're in a dark room, well, you want to let light in for as long as possible. But if you're out on a bright and sunny day, there's not a cloud anywhere in sight, then you don't really need light to come in that long. So you can set your shutter speed pretty high. Or if you're in an action setting, which with food photography, you don't really need a high um, shutter speed because it's a pretty chill event unless you're photographing chefs cooking or you're dusting flour off of your hands or something that requires um, your camera to capture a fast movement. And so on the iPhone, all it's really doing is just blurring the background. But if you don't understand what the f-stop means in a camera or in photography, then they're just going to blur. They're going to go down as blurry as they can. And all it really looks like is somebody manually try to blur a background out. So you see missing spots because your camera is trying to catch the contrast or the, the edge of a subject. So like, here's a a situation where you would probably want to use the very blurry background. Let's say you want to photograph a a coffee cup or a Starbucks drink or something, and you want that cup to be the main focus. You don't want the background to distract or to take away from the picture. You want your viewer's eyes to look at that coffee cup. In that situation, blur the heck out of it. Bring that that f-stop down as you can. But if you're taking a group picture, you know, like three people, and you want to blur out the background, don't use the f-stop on that phone. Just take 
grab your subjects and tell them, hey, move forward. Let's, let's step a little bit further away from the background. And then that'll blur out the background and it'll be focused on them. So it's kind of complicated to explain the F-stop without really going into depth, but I hope that yeah, breaks that it down just helps. a little bit. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. and I understand so, we can only scratch the surface, but this is helpful because I know not everybody is a total, total beginner. So maybe some people mm-hmm. that will, that'll help jog their memory. And maybe since a lot of us who are working are a little older, I remember when you didn't record everyday events and everybody went to a professional photographer for family photos and for graduation mm-hmm. photos. And then they started doing things like inside malls that I, I'm not sure those were always professionals. Those were probably people trained by the company. But I remember when you had to know all of this stuff to ever get a decent photo and film was so expensive. You tried your darndest to to mm-hmm. not throw your money away but yeah it's been I remember time. that too <laughs> submitting your your film to to Walmart or Walgreens with your fingers and then crossed. waiting a week with <laughs> <laughs> your fingers crossed that you took a decent picture <laughs> yeah I mean I guess the closest to instant gratification was the actual Polaroid yeah. exactly and even that <laughs> oh man things have changed because I remember how eagerly everybody would huddle around somebody shaking the photo waiting for the image tip here even that was not so instant (laughs) no definitely not and then you're like ah crap we gotta do it again (laughs) I've actually um saved a bunch of film from a senior trip when I was in high school I never got the film developed and I've just carried this film with me for cheese for over 10 years and I'm just now getting around to getting it developed and some of the pictures are showing up and then some aren't because it's just been so long. Wow. But I'm like, wow, I can't remember all of this uh, from the trip, but it's just crazy to think that at the time I was taking the pictures, I was like, oh, I can't wait to get these developed. And it's like 13 years later. <laughs> it's expensive at the time. True. And at least for me, you know, oh, I mean, yeah, my family, we have a whole box of films. Well, yeah, I do remember like saving the negatives and thinking, oh, when I have some extra money and I think I needed like $5. I'm like, oh, I'll get this one printed again. It's more expensive now. Yeah. Where (laughs) do you even go? $15. Well, um, I took mine to Walgreens and that's just because, you know, it's Walgreens. But if I would recommend anything, if you do hire a professional photographer and they offer printing services, I definitely recommend that you get your prints through them. But if that's not an option, then if you have a local photography store, usually they do have printing services, then I recommend you get your pictures printed through there. And most of the time, these um, stores do process films. So that's where I should be taking it to my local film store. But these pictures are so from so long ago that I'm like, they're yeah. probably crap. <laughs> I'm surprised they can get anything out of them. Like they sent with Walgreens, they sent me like a, a note, like a cautionary, like, hey, so some of these photos didn't come out. And I'm like, of course oh. it didn't. This is like 13 years ago. <laughs> I'd be glad if you got a photo. Well, that's impressive. <laughs> I, I know um, some archivists say that, these old forms of media like that we ended up saving on paper, especially if you stored them in acid-free things, they were going to last a lot longer than the digital data that we have now. What is the best medium to preserve an image if you expect to keep it for like a hundred years? Well, I honestly printing to take care of it. I'm conflicted because I, I love my digital archive system that I have in place, but I do also see the value in printing. And we're just assuming that computers are going to be around forever and or that your computer is going to be fixed forever. So when the day comes that you don't have a computer or computers cease to exist, which probably will never happen, but you never know. Type six over here. (laughs) You've lost access to all those photos. Like you don't have anything. But if you have a print and you take care of it and you keep it in a photo album, then, you know, imagine 50, 60 years from now, you can go back and look at that photo and see those memories. And there's just something special 
when it comes to holding a print right. of your work. It's, I mean, maybe it's different as a, as a client or a consumer, but um, as a professional, it's just, it's, it's real when you print it. And we have, you know, my husband and I, we have professional prints. We have our, we have more photos of our dog than we do of us, but we have pictures of, from our wedding and we have them hung around our home and it's just beautiful. And I have some pictures of some of my food photos that I'm very proud of hanging in my, in my equipment room. And it's just, it's a different feeling, but yeah, I do think that having, maybe having a backup system or even heck putting them on, on a burn DVD, that's better than just relying on a cloud or your right. computer. I, I hope your computer isn't the only place that people are store, storing photos. I'm I sure do a believe lot in, of yeah, are, but at least, well, Don't, I think most people know what an external hard drive is and they're way less expensive than they used to be. Which is not just your, not just a hard drive, but it's not just a hard drive. Have a, a backup of a backup. So for my archival, I have, I have two, well, I have a collection of hard drives, but I have two main hard drives that I use. And then I have a, a cloud system and I have my main hard drive where I have my current projects for the year on. And then I have my storage, my giant six terabytes. Oh, yeah. That's where I store my, my past projects. And then when I'm done with the project, I upload it to Dropbox. And so if something fails, if my main hard drive fails, I at least have them somewhere else. So that's the idea right. you need to think of. Have them in more than one place because yeah. I've had both happen. My hard drive, my external hard drive failed and we had to reformat it. And uh, that's when I realized, okay, I need to have some kind of storage system in place. Yeah, backup to a backup. So if you have backup a, to a backup. paper image, is it fairly easy to convert that into digital format again? It is. Okay. It is. You probably, it would just be a JPEG. And there are special scanners out there. Great. I would print photos more for like family stuff, like uh -huh. family photos. But for business stuff probably not the best idea to print out your business photos. Just have a backup of a backup and have a system in place. And like, if you do work with a professional photographer and they give you the high res, ask if you can also have low res. And that just means this is a social media picture, because if you try to share a high res image on Facebook, it's going to look crappy. You don't want a crappy looking photo. So you want a high res and that's for printing and for like menus or for magazines. Like if you get featured in a magazine and they're like, we need a high res image, then you can send that to them. But if gotcha. you just need something for social media, you want a low res. And most photographers, I don't know what their gallery or image delivery service is like. If they use like some, like a service like Pixie Set, in that case, they could probably choose the option of a web file and then Pixie Set or whatever service will automatically compress it and, and you can just share it and not worry about it. But um, when I deliver my images to my clients, because I'm assuming they don't know and right. you don't know what you don't know until you know. And so I deliver two folders and one of them is the high res and I tell them this is high res don't put this on the internet. And then I tell them this is the, the low res and these are your social media images or for your website, which is super duper important when uploading images to your website. You don't want to put a high res image because it'll just bog your website down and lower your rankings in Google SEO. So you want an optimized low res image. Okay. And if you are doing yeah. your own photography, do you really have to worry about that is pretty much what your phone is going to generate. It's going to be internet ready or is that not true? Well, the phone images have a funny way of working. So if you upload directly from your phone, then it'll automatically compress. But if you airdrop it or send it to your computer, you'll notice that the file is like a two um, megabyte photo. It's a giant photo. So you're kind of, uh, you're okay in both ways. But if you are taking photos with a camera 
then that's something you need to be aware of. Or if you're shooting in JPEG, I mean, it's already, um, I don't know, do you know the difference between a RAW and a JPEG? I've seen the option on my DSLR, but no, I don't know. I figured if I don't know what it is, I don't need that one. So what is that? Exactly. <laughs> well, if you're going to edit your own photos, you definitely need that. Okay. Um, if you're shooting on a DSLR and you're shooting in RAW, what that means is it is just exactly what the camera records. And when you upload this to an editing software like Photoshop or Lightroom or Capture One or Darkroom, I think that's the free version of Lightroom, it's a raw photo, meaning you have control over everything. If the exposure is off, if the color is off, complete and total control. A JPEG is already edited and they, it compresses it and it's a final shot. But if you try to edit it, then it's going to look wonky. Oh. If you try to fix the colors, it's going to look wonky. And you don't want to do that. iPhones, I don't know about the Google, what is it called, the Pixel? Yeah. I've heard re- like lots of great things about the Google Pixel, so I wouldn't be surprised. But the new iPhones actually don't shoot JPEGs anymore. They shoot um, in D&G files, which is basically a raw file. And so a raw file, you want to edit it. You want to add a style or, you know, something to it because it's just going to look flat and funky. Like, I don't know if you've ever taken a picture with your phone and you're just like, this looks like crap. It doesn't match what I'm looking at. I see vibrant, beautiful colors. And on my phone, it doesn't look anything like that. Well, that's because the phone is just taking a raw photo. Like it's just what it sees. And then you get to go in and add in your style you process it. And so the real magic, you know, happens in post processing, not just in the photo shoot itself, but in the post as well. See, and that feels way outside of the reach of the average person. So if you're exactly new, that's why my, (laughs) that's why I'm like, well, you know, not everybody's going to know this. That's why I'm teaching this. You know, you can, the things you can accomplish with your phone camera and a little bit of editing is absolutely phenomenal. Like I'm, I'm all, I'm all for it. And it's a lot. If you don't know photography, if it's not a field and especially I follow a few, I don't want to say dietitian, but nutritionist accounts. And when you're putting a bowl of fruit out there, people eat with their eyes first. You want them to feel something, emote something. So if you're just going to put a bowl of Let's say you want to share um, something about yogurt and how awesome it is for your body. Well, first you have to style it. So that's a a skill in food photography that you need to pick up on. Style it, make it look pretty. And then when you photograph it, you've got to photograph it in a way that brings something out of your viewer. You want their eyes to see it first and then their mouth to salivate then for them to think about, oh, man, I love strawberries or I love, you know, vanilla yogurt or something. Or when you put granola on top and you're like, oh, man, I love the crunch. Like you want them to think these things. And the challenge is getting them to feel all of this from a photo. It's different from a video, but right. a photo, you that's the challenge. I mean, food photography is just so awesome. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> when it comes to editing, that almost, it, it may, oh, yes. it's not accurate, but it feels like that could turn into like a full-time job. If you're not just taking the photos, you're also editing them. Or is that the wrong way to see it? Like, oh, yeah. Okay, it is. <laughs> no, <laughs> not really. I mean, okay. here's the thing. When you first start, it is going to be different. The thing about food photography that's different than other niches is that with like family, you have like 5,000, maybe not 5,000, but you have a a full gallery to deliver to them. And there's a lot to work and play with. With food, usually you end up with one or two photos. And it's not even just the, it's not just the angle, but maybe the way, you know, the lighting or whatever, like most of the time you'll end up posting one food photo or maybe you have five or six at most. Food photography is a very chillaxed 
niche. You can take your time with it. You can move things around a little bit. Like if you're, let's say you're, you're photographing a plate of pasta, well, you can move the pasta a little bit. You can add, sprinkle a little bit of Parmesan, like you can do things to it and take your time with it. And so, yes, you'll end up looking at maybe 30 or 40 photos, but you'll end up choosing that one star image and editing that one and putting that one up. Mm. So it could be full time. I mean, I've managed to make it full time. But (laughs) if you're just looking to add something to your social media, then I don't think that it would take that much time if you have a plan so of what you're going to shoot. Recommend um, <laughs> if someone didn't want to spend, you said darkroom is the inexpensive version of the other photo editing software. Well, Adobe has really changed the game in that they're not that expensive at all. It used to be expensive, but they actually have a cloud um, account. And I want to say it's, and they, 15 a month. Oh, and okay. that's this with is Photoshop, Photoshop and Lightroom. And but that and, and Lightroom has uh, two different kinds of Lightroom. So there's the Lightroom Classic, which is what I have. And that is for, for you know, people who are professional photographers and, and it's the old system and it's it's based on the desktop. And then there's the Lightroom CC. And that is the cloud-based, and we call that the the Insta Lightroom because oh. most people who use that. But the cool thing about the Lightroom CC is that it also connects to your Lightroom mobile account. And so if you create any images that you add in from your phone to your Lightroom um, catalog will also show up in the Lightroom CC. So I, I like it. I see two purposes of it. I use the the classic on my desktop and laptop, and then I have the mobile version on my phone from, you know, away from my desktop or I'm traveling and I don't have access to my computer right then and there. So it's, it's pretty cheap, at least for me, it's worth the investment. If the plan is to move to Lightroom anyway, then I just think you should just make the investment right then and there. Right. The dark room, I just learned about it. I don't know too much info. I was going to check it out and see how it compares to Lightroom and if it's, you know, worth the investment. And then if you, I don't really use Photoshop for my food photos. I, I mean, everything I need to do, I can do in Lightroom, but for Photoshop is mainly for graphic designers or fashion or anybody who likes to you know, my, my co-host Cheyenne is all about the, the Photoshop and she uses it for a lot of fine art, artsy-fartsy, that's what I'm going to call it, right. artsy-fartsy <laughs> type of work. <laughs> and then, so like I'm looking at it now, the individual plan for Adobe, it's for nine bucks a month. Wow. Yeah. And if you get, let's say changed. if you get just Lightroom, if you get just Lightroom and let's say monthly, it's 10 bucks a month. Wow, I mean, okay. that's the steal of a deal. And, and if you, um, and I say get the, the program that fits what you're looking for, fits your needs. If you don't use Photoshop, don't get Photoshop. But Lightroom in itself, it's a beast and it's confusing, <laughs> especially if you don't really know much about photography. It can be a little bit intimidating. Mm -hmm. And I know that there are some new photographers out there who are like, I haven't, I don't want to mess with Lightroom because it's just, it's too much. Well, I recommend that you just get into it. And there is a video course. um, I think it was on creative live. Creative live is if you're look, if you work better with video, creative live is a perfect resource for learning photography, editing, any of those things, I highly recommend, or lynda.com. And so if, if you need to learn, I say find a video course that will introduce you step-by-step to Lightroom. And Lightroom CC and Lightroom Classic, they're pretty much the same thing. There was a a fear a long time ago that they were going to, you know, merge, but then us, you know, photographers were like, I won't have it. So <laughs> Adobe is like, all right, we're going to have, you know, the two different kinds of Lightroom. So Lightroom CC, I think is perfect for non-photographers. 
And it's just, you know, people who just want to process their photos with the DSLR and they just want something that's like boom, boom, boom. So if you have Lightroom CC, get a couple of presets, make an investment on a preset. Don't go pay $10 on Etsy for a crappy preset. Make an actual investment on a preset and and then find a style of how you want to process your photos because that's really what it is at the end of the day is creating an overall theme or vibe of how you edit photos. Okay, that makes yeah. a lot of sense. And I've been seeing more and more people explaining that for your social media, you really need to have like a clear theme that things need to be oh, yeah. probably a little more coherent than they tend to be. It's hard to figure out your focus when you feel like you have so many audiences. So we have our parents, we have our students, we have other educators we're trying to communicate with. But in reality, I'm pretty sure that if we thought about it one platform at a time, we can tell that there's never one place where everybody is except for maybe the exactly. district website. The kids are not looking at Facebook fact. So <laughs> you don't need to know they're, they're like them there. They're like mom and dad is on Facebook. I'm not getting on there. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Aging is a funny process and it seems like it goes in chunks. So you are going through your days feeling young and then someone explains to you that you are not that because you're using a tool <laughs> for old people and parents. I'm like, oh, okay. I didn't know that. <laughs> I was at that point, but anyway. Thank you so much for coming on. I really yes, appreciate Yes, I had time. so much fun. I did too. I feel if like anyone I... has any questions, tell them to hit me up. Absolutely. And I'm going to put all of your links in the show notes. Perfect. Perfect. Thanks again for joining me this week. I hope that was a good distraction from all of the stress that we have going on right now. And it was a little bit of a chance to focus on something more fun. Marketing is one of my favorite parts of food service. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Let me know in social media, how are you using food photography and marketing in your district? Are you doing that yourself or are you outsourcing? Remember, the only fee for the show is that you share it with others every time you hear something useful. All right, everyone, I'll see you next time.